0: If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Psalm 88. Psalm 88, verses 1, 2, and 3, 13 and 18. And we're going to look at the first uh, three verses of Psalm 89. This is the finale of finding and following Jesus with all kinds of feelings. We're at persistent pain, persistent pain, but it will pass. It will pass. Let's give our attention to God's Word. This is a song A psalm of the sons of Korah, Psalm 88, starting at verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. Then verses 13 to 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me; my companions have become darkness. That's how Psalm eighty-eight ends. Let's read the first three verses of Psalm eighty-nine. This is a maskil of Ethan the Ezrahite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. This is God's word so far. Thanks be to God. Well, Psalm 88 happens to be the darkest and bleakest psalm. It ends on the most unhappy ending by the way our prayers and our songs and our worship to God is just as acceptable when you are at your bottom lowest point as it is when you are on a high and you could not be happier. Psalm 88 is proof that God welcomes and wants. It is not any less Christian or spiritual to come before God and conclude this way. God, my best friends, my companions, maybe my spouse... Maybe my family have all shunned me, they despise me, they have left me, but God, still to you I can turn. Evidently, this is a Psalm about pain, drastic pain, severe pain. We read your terrors, I grew up this way since youth. These things are destroying me, so it's an unrelenting kind of pain. It's a persistent pain. It's a kind of pain that doesn't seem like it's going to get any better anytime soon. Now, where is this coming from? Could be a physical disease. We're in poetry again, so the net is wide. It could be many possibilities of physical illness. Once again, since I was young, I have a debilitating, wasting away type of condition. Uh, For sure, it's a social pain. He's losing valuable, most intimate relationships to him, social pains. Uh, There's also strong suggestion here that this psalmist, the sons of Korah, is suffering from persecution because he or she is a Christian believer. Maybe this is why socially they're losing relations. Maybe this is why people despise them. Pain from persecution. I know this is very foreign to us, myself included, but in parts of the world today, right now, I mean, for you to be identified or say something like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and He rules everything and He died on a cross to take away all my sins, that can be extremely dangerous, even life threatening. I think it was about last week or so. This is not quite, per se, persecution. But a 26-year-old by the name of John Allen Chow was trying to reach a remote, primitive, untouched North Indian island, 26 years old. Now, parents, please pay attention. I wonder how many parents here, even as you saw your children get confirmed or baptized, would allow your 20-something-year-old later on if he or she came to you and said, well... I wanna share about Christ and I wanna go off to this remote part. I think to be a lot honest, a lot of us parents in this room would say, you know, I I want you to be sorta Christian, like comfortable Christian, I hope you don't become a real one. And so John Allen Chow was uh, killed. The first time he showed up, they shot a bow and arrow through his Bible. He wrote about it in a journal and said, God, I don't wanna die. He was scared to death but he went back to the island and he was killed by a bow and arrow. Now, all kinds of comments have been written, all kinds of controversies, and I will tell you as a Christian pastor, it is complicated, yes. Absolutely. Some people have accused John Allen Chow of how dare he do that. He's bringing pathogens and viruses and diseases to this people. He broke laws, yes. This smacks of white, colonial, imperialistic forces back in the day were trying to impose our religion and culture on other people. Then even some religious Christian people have come along and said, well, the guy was just so youthful and dumb, so foolish, so foolish. Why would you do something like that? What a tragic, wasteful death, a senseless death in his religious zeal, although he did prepare himself linguistically and medically, the reports are. Well, what, what should we do here as a Church of Jesus Christ at Christ Central and everywhere? Well, certainly, please, no matter what you think about that incident right now, would you please pray for his grieving family? And would you please pray for and support and love on our missionaries, including Lennie and Taylor and Lot 318 right here? How our missionaries and your pastors and your leaders There is really no greater thing. It's invisible, but it is the most powerful thing. The layer of protection and supernatural strength and encouragement that prayers of God's people bring. Pray for our missionaries. But as we launch into these two Psalms, I'd like to also pray personally over this. Would you pray over this? Ponder and pray over this. Is your Christian faith worth sharing at all? Is your Christian faith worth spreading at all? Like ever. Are you within the Christian camp, so to speak? Are you within the Christian Orthodox historic faith in which to follow Jesus, Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Christianity at, at its core is an evangelizing, missional, spreading, sharing faith. Because that's why Jesus came all the way down to earth. And My question that challenges all of us as we pray for the families and pray for missionaries is we ought to pray for ourselves. Is your Christian faith worth any pains at all? Is it worth, do you expect and accept Persecutions. For bearing the name of Jesus Christ and wanting to share the only name that will save from eternal death. Maybe this is what the psalmist was going through. I'm not sure. But he is in unrelenting pain. And the only thing he can do about it, and I will tell you, it's the best thing he could do with it, was he puts it into a poetic prayer. That's the first thing we all got to learn to do, is to put your pain into prayer. Put your pain into prayer. Say it, express it, find words to articulate it to God. If you cannot find the words, you're not used to a language or an easy conversation with God, Crying and groaning and sighing and silence is fine. Because the Holy Spirit actually intercedes for you and translates everything you're saying. But you got to put your pain into prayer. Uh, I cannot assume that of anyone here. Praying is like breathing to your spiritual life. Can you think about just inhaling all the time? You never exhale. You take in oxygen, you fill up your lungs. That's all you can do. But you can't exhale. Well, that's a lot of us in spiritually speaking if you don't pray. You're just pent up, stuffed up. You're trying to forget this pain. You might want to out entertain or get really busy to forget the pain. You might want to medicate that pain. You want to outspend this pain. You want to overvent that pain to your friends. But Psalm 88 tells us <clears throat> in the darkest, bleakest moments, he guides us. He leads us. Put it into prayer. Put it into prayer. Because that is your exhale. And there's no substitute for this. And 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 I do know. I know as your pastor because I do this sometimes. Some of you in this room, you might have had the worst week this past week, or the worst month, or several months. Nobody knows about it, but you do. Your conscience tells you that. You've been doing things that, like, God forbid anyone would find out. And so you instinctively think that because you're so messed up, so sinful, so dirty, so hypocritical, so fake, That with that stuff, you should not come closer to God and express it. Where do we get this notion? Where do we get this notion? When has the church of Jesus Christ become a place where you should only come closer to God if you're beautiful, well behaving, put it all together? You had a really relatively good week? Where do we get that notion? I'll tell you where you don't get that notion. You don't get it from the Psalms. God wants you when you're at your bloodiest, most ugly, most broken, most helpless. Psalm 88 proves it. Psalm 88 proves it. And my friends, sometimes the pain you're going through has to be expressed and put into prayer for us. And I know that might be painful. And maybe some people will have to find out about it. People who you trust and love but that short-term temporal pain is only going to bring lasting, bigger, more abundant gain. Put your pain into prayer. Put your pain into prayer. Last night, sitting at the dinner table of my house, I didn't brush my hair. Taking a shower, did not put gel in it, just didn't do this. My daughters constantly say, Dad, you look, you look nice on Sundays. But our friend's over today. We're embarrassed. (laughs) On Saturday, other days, you just don't look like you're taking showers. What's wrong with you, Dad? I don't want to moralize and preach at the dinner table. I was like, it's because God accepts me as I am. I can look like this any day and God still welcomes me. Psalm 88. It's a guide and an allowance, it's permission. It's your invitation. So I really don't care what it takes for you to pray. I really don't. You know, some of us have grown up in immigrant churches where our parents and grandparents modeled a prayer life at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. It was like a machine. It's for sure going to happen. And yeah, some of us kind of poo poo that and look down on that and say, oh, that's so legalistic or that's so crazy, they don't have much else to do. Can I ask you, but what time do we pray? Where are your walks of prayer? Where are your silent moments of prayer? Where are you in your bed? Are you praying? Any which way, in your bath, (laughs) on the treadmill, in traffic, on your knees, standing up, eyes wide open, eyes closed, if you're in massive unrelenting pain, my friend, that pain has to find a way out. And it's gonna come out. Why wouldn't you let it come out before the presence of God? One sobering, challenging thought of how the sons of Korah lead us to worship and pray and sing like this to God in massive pain is, oh, that's what Christian leadership is like, isn't it? You see, if you want people around you to be honest, humble, and open, vulnerable, if you want your small groups to become more real, can I ask you, my friend, do you know it has to start with you? Usually the leader. If the leader, if the son of Korah sings and prays like this, he allows many other people to come and sing their own Psalm 88. And someone in passing one time said, you know, Harold, the toughest part about leadership, especially Christian leaders, is you cannot lead if you don't bleed. The only way to lead is you got to bleed out. That's true, because that reminds me of someone who bled out. And that's why John Allen Chow was willing to die. Because for all the accusations of, oh, how foolish and senseless that death was, it reminds me of someone, doesn't it? Who brings about long-term salvation in life from the apparent foolishness and senselessness of a death that God can still use. But we got to learn as a church to be praying together, praying for one another, praying for one another. Leading in prayer. Here's second. Put your pain into prayer. And then second is, God puts your pain upon himself. Now this is remarkable. God puts your pain upon himself. When in acute, persistent, over and over and over and over and over again pain, People are prone to only pay attention to what hurts you. That's normal, because it hurts that much. But I do want you to consider, if you can, please. Do you know how much your pain affects God? Have you ever stopped to look up and consider how much your pain actually moves God? That your pain can actually pain and grieve God? God, please hear me out loud and clear this morning. God is not in the business of taking away all your pain immediately. He's just not. That's a false religion you're following if you think so. God is not in the business. His main goal is not to take away your pain immediately. But he does do wonderful things with it. At least three. You know, by the way, again, as parents, if you have a little child who has a rotten tooth, just a rotten tooth, you send them to a dentist. Or if you're really good at home, you pull it out yourself. Again, you allow the temporal, smaller pain to bring about lasting, beneficial relief and gain. Why would God do Any less? And how would God be any less wise or strategic than human parents? He's not going to take away all your pain immediately, but he does at least three things with your pain. Number one, he remembers it. In fact, God records it. Did you know that? There's a wondrous verse in Psalm 56, verse 8. I don't know if you've ever read it. You might want to sing it or memorize it. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you know that every tear, God cannot forget, but he will remember and he actually collects. Your pain matters so much to God, he remembers it. He records it. He collects it. And he actually, the second thing he can do with pain is he repurposes it. He repurposes pain. He won't take away it, but he will transform what pain can do to his children. I've been sharing this with our five elder candidates, along with, you know, Brian Kim and Kevin Yee, serve on the session with me. And for all pastors, all Christian servant leaders, it's an ironic gospel principle. I have shared in training that the thing that you struggle with the most, the thing that you tend to be most pained by, if you find and follow Jesus there in that feeling and in that struggle, it actually turns out to be your greatest ministry. So if you're prone to depression, if you're prone to depression, that greatest pain, if you find and follow Jesus in your depression, actually turns out to be your greatest strength in ministry to those who are... depressed. It might be anxiety for you. It might be an addiction for you. You see, God repurposes your pain, your marital pain, your health pain, your psychological pain, but you ought to, you must let Jesus be the one who leads you. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse six, Apostle Paul talks about, we have been so greatly afflicted, tossed to and fro. He says, that we wanted to die. In our common lingo, you just say, I just wanted to die. I didn't think I could make it through. These kinds of massive afflictions. And he says, but God comforted us in those afflictions so that we might in turn comfort you. God's comfort in my affliction was for your comfort and salvation. God repurposes it. He remembers it. He repurposes it. Here's the third thing. He does many more things, but I'm just going to say three because of time. First. God got ruined by it. Do you know that God got ruined by your pain? Do you know that he personally took your pain upon the person of his own son, Jesus Christ? John Stodd, in probably one of his masterpieces, the cross of Christ, made this observation, it's too good To skim. I'm going to read the quote in full. It will be projected. John Stott. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while I've had to turn away and in imagination I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness, That is the God for me, for he laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. Quote, The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. Quote, once again, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. God put your pain upon himself and he got ruined by it. He not only remembers it and records it, there will be no tear that fell that will be wasted and cannot be repurposed. But ultimately in his son, that's why Jesus is the God for me. He got ruined by it. You know, there's one most palpable way that God comes and meets you in the middle of your pain, not around it, not before it, not after it, or not behind it, right in the middle of it, uh, it's, uh, he sends angels, and they're called his people. That's why we have a church. Do you know that the best, most effective way God shows up in the middle of your pain is he sends his people, they're literally God sent. That's why in First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twenty four and twenty-six it reads this, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, care for one another. Care for one another. I have heard some of our small groups here at Christ Central, out of your compassion and care for a sister or a brother or a child or a believer who doesn't yet attend a church, that's fine. How you guys have gone overboard, dropped things, changed your schedules, driven around, gone and done things that would be quite sacrificial to show how much you care for one another. Apostle Paul ends by saying, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Put your pain into prayer. Listen, if you don't put your pain into prayer, I'm not saying God can't do anything with it, but you're saying most likely, I don't need God to do anything with it. And then second, God puts your pain upon himself. Here's a third, and it's just the truth. It's just the truth. We'll close with this. But the pain will pass. All the pain is going to go away. Pain will pass. You can bank on it. Here's how I know that. Psalm 89 is not the last psalm. Psalm 89 is not the last psalm. It's not even the last book. Psalm 89 is the most pessimistic, darkest thing you could think or pray. And then it immediately turns into Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love forever. His faithfulness, it's established in the heavens, the witness in the skies. By the way, you do know that God did not inspire. The Holy Spirit did not come down to someone and say, Write 88 here, and this next one is 89. Those are human inventions so that we can catalog and find these things, or you can just click on it on your phone. Psalm 88 and 89. In fact, all the Psalms are kind of just strung together. They're meant to be read and understood together. And by the way, that is an enormously important thing for you to keep in mind. If you want to understand the Bible, you got to read it what they say, Canonically or redemptive historically or biblical theologically all kinds of multi-syllable fancy words for saying this if you're gonna read the Bible any passage read it in the context of the whole Bible put it all together and so Psalm 88 as pessimistic and depressing as it is you can't end there because there's transition because there's transformation psalm 88 turns into psalm 89 and in psalm 89 we just read somewhere wasn't it verse 2 in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness this is how you know pain is going to pass not only knowing that 88 turns into 89 it's in the structure and the flow of this book called the psalms but the psalmist says oh look at the heavens look at creation look at creation okay let's look at the sun Southern California, we see it all the time. It's brightness and brilliance is a reflection of the glory of God. You cannot stare at the sun too long. That is just a created reflection of how bright and brilliant God must be, the creator. The sun is also a teacher of the power of God. The sun is a nuclear power, but it's only one of 10 to the 23rd power nuclear reactors scattered throughout the universe 20 billion light years in expanse, the sun is a teacher of the power of God. Oh, but of course, the sun is also a witness to the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. The sun comes up every day. The sun sets every day, right around 4.45 p.m. now these days. There is absolute regularity to it. You can rely on it. Why? Why? God displays His faithfulness throughout all of creation to display He will be utterly faithful to you and keep all His promises. If you have a hard time believing, pain will pass. If you have a hard time believing, it's not going to get better. If you're losing faith, hope, and love, let me tell you the day you should lose faith, hope, and love. Let me tell you the day you should give up. Here it is. The day that the sun refuses to shine. But as long as the sun shines, there's every reason to believe God is faithful. The pain will pass. The pain will pass. There are more sad songs and happy songs in the Psalms, yes. There are really darker Psalms than any so- songs I've sung in any worship service in the entirety of my life. I never remember singing a song in worship. That was as bleak and as depressing as Psalm 88. We don't come close, which just tells you we're allergic to pain and we're actually not that committed to scripture. But in any case, there are many more sad songs than happy songs. So, why are the Psalms called Psalms? Psalms actually means praises. Here's why because of the movement. The sad songs are relatively stacked up front Psalm three, four, five, six, seven. It's like a giant pool, swimming pool of tears. Then we did read Psalm 88. But I want you to notice the movement. It's a massive movement. Unmistakable movement. The last five Psalms, 146 to Psalm 150, it's all filled with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The flow of this book has movement that turns pain into praise. And this is because the Psalms are the very prayer book The Psalms are the very songs that Jesus Christ himself sang and prayed. And whenever Jesus Christ enters a scene, whenever or wherever Jesus Christ intrudes and becomes central, he changes the entire course of history and he can change yours too. Jesus is the one that brings gospel movement even into the book of the Psalms where pain turns into praise. So here's what you and I can do. Two little things, practical applications, just to repeat what we talked about before in persistent pain. Number one, if you can, if you can, take a really good look at God's creation. Get out under the sun. It'll do your soul and your body good. Fresh air. Look at his faithful witnesses in the heavens and throughout the world, which is constantly teaching and reminding you of his glory, his power, but his utter faithfulness that the pain will pass. Some of you know that I grew up in Torrance. So I grew up frequenting Redondo Beach Inn. Hermosa Beach, which literally means beautiful. It's nice and neat and calm and serene and soothing. The waves are small. I'm a boogie boarder. I'm not a good swimmer. But I can tolerate those beaches. I can get by. Over Thanksgiving break, I really did need to get away. And my wife, Sunny, who is a professional bargain hunter, found last-minute deals to go to Hawaii of all places. Please don't judge us. It was inexpensive, relatively speaking. Please don't judge us. I went to Hawaii for Thanksgiving. It's been like 10 years. And I got to go to North Shore this time, first time. North Shore is not like Hermosa Beach. The waters look violent, like in turmoil. They go in different directions. I could tell once you step in, it goes too deep. I left my kids in the car. So don't even come out here. You're going to drown. This is a haven for surfers. The waves out there looked ominous. They looked big. It was dark and it was rainy, and it's rocky. And I was just sitting there for a moment staring out at the north shore, thinking, "Ah, this is more like it. This is what I'm talking about. See, life is much more like this. A lot more violent, a lot more turmoil. The waves of Hermosa Beach, which used to be soothing to me about the God's faithfulness to me, these waves look like, no, this is just practical problems of life. And when you hit midlife, there's so many pains that come sometime, wave after wave after wave after wave. And I thought to myself, this is more like real life now. Hmm. And then the thought crossed my head, but God made and owns this beach too. And I teared up because of joy and with relief. I teared up looking at God's creation, knowing He owns that beach too, with joy and with relief. only to hear my wife's voice right behind me say, Harold, turn around, hurry, please take a good picture for once. (laughs) A Holy Spirit-inspired moment turned into, I love my wife. (laughs) And if you see some pictures we took at North Shore, you can see why I look like that right there. Second, look at the Creator who became a creature to take your pain. Look at the Creator who became a creature to take your pain. Next week, we begin the Advent season Advent, the coming, the arrival, the waiting, the anticipating of the birth. <laughs> Of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who'd become human being to suffer and take your pain upon himself. And every gospel ends, I mean, sorry, begins the same way. They're just ecstatic. They're like losing their minds. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all begin basically the same way. They're losing their minds. Here's why. We've been waiting for this for hundreds of years. Some of us have been waiting for this for thousands of years. People caught up in a Monday through Saturday of singing Psalm 88. When Jesus arrived, that was a Sunday of Psalm 89. That day did come. And every Sunday, we get to have a foretaste and a reminder. That is our eternal destiny. We get to sing. We get to catch up to our future. Jesus reigns. Love will prevail. Justice will be done. Peace that passes understanding will last. All of this will pass. Pain, guilt, shame, anger, depression, loneliness, sorrow, despair, disappointment, divorce, heartache, fallout, illness, cancer, death. All of it will pass. Because Jesus came down to become you and me. Take upon all that we deserve. His life, and then in his death, and then in his resurrection. Listen, if you look to and cling to Jesus, not only just take a good look at his creation, his movement will become your movement. His life story will become your life story. Someday you and I are going to rise with him. There's an eternal Sunday Sabbath coming. It'll not only make sense of all the pain and the tears. God will overcompensate it. He'll make it more than worthwhile. We'll resurrect and rise with him. And we shall sing of the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for my friends here. And I do pray that for people who are in the middle and at the bottom of much pain and suffering right now. Jesus, would you come close to them? Touch them. Help them to look at your world and help them to look at you, your word. The word become flesh. And as we cling to you, find in you more gain and joy and value and pleasures than the things we might be losing, to you be all the glory and for your people, may we not only grow in you, but grow in sharing and spreading the name and the fame and the truth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. Hear us, we pray, this day as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.